The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 3. Columbus, Ohio. When Jared came to his senses, he was covered with broken glass, his ears were ringing, and his throbbing head felt like it was twice its normal size. David was sprawled across the back seat on his side. Pastor, pastor. Jared shook David to be sure that he was alive. David regained consciousness, grabbed the back of his head, and cried out in pain. Jared looked out the window, momentarily disoriented. The squad car was no longer parallel parked on the side of the road. It was now on the grass underneath a tree, apparently knocked more than ten feet from the force of the blast. Oh, oh, David moaned. What happened? Oh, my head. He gasped when he cut his finger on a piece of glass that protruded from his bloody scalp. He thought for a moment that he had fractured his skull, especially when he noticed how asymmetric his head felt when he grabbed it with both hands. Then he realized that it was only because the right side of his scalp felt numb. The pungent stench of burning flesh filled the air. Distant sirens gradually neared and a couple of people ran to and fro, grabbing their wounds and screaming for help. Two or three women nearby screamed at the top of their lungs. Through a rising fog of black and gray smoke, David saw fifty or sixty dead bodies lying in the road, and on the ash-covered field, blackened arms and legs stiffened in a flexed position. The civic center across the street was a blazing ball of fire. Thick, massive billows of smoke rushed into the sky, making a clear midday feel like dusk. Ash began to settle on everything, the cars, the street, the carcasses, and the living, like a blanket of hellish snow. The rhythmic wail of inharmonious sirens neared. Fire trucks were just arriving. Dear God, what happened? Pastor, let's get out of here. David looked over and saw that Jared was halfway out the broken window. Jared pushed himself out head first and landed hard on his back, being unable to cushion the fall with his hands still cuffed behind his back. He winced in pain as his bruised body thumped the uneven glass-covered ground. Everybody is dead. Jared stood up and looked around. He began to walk and then run toward the area where they were protesting. Everybody's dead. He ran toward the severely burned bodies next to some charred pro-life signs. David had been uncuffed before being placed in the squad car, so he made his way out of the shattered police car window in a more orderly manner. He stood for a moment in a state of shock and wondered at the destruction of the civic center. Dear God. Groans and screams gradually intensified in the smoky haze. Help me get these cuffs off. There's the officer who arrested me. Jared began to trot back toward the police car. David slowly walked over to the officer's carcass, leaned down and reached into the front pocket to retrieve the keys to Jared's cuffs. Quick. Jared turned around and showed David his cuffed hands. David found the key and unlocked the cuffs. Jared dropped them to the ground and rubbed his wrists. We have to find survivors and get them help. David cautiously nodded, pulling at a remnant of glass that was sticking out of his scalp. The blood flowed down his right cheek and shoulder and ran in rivers down his right arm. Jared tore the sleeve of his shirt off and handed it to David, put pressure on that bleeder until it stops gushing. Jared then ran off in the direction of the flames. Ambulances were just now arriving. Most of the people in front of the civic center had died very quickly from the concussion of the huge blast. Their bodies were smashed and mangled. The odors of smoke and charred flesh burnt Jared's nose and sinuses. Here, she's alive, someone yelled. Two men knelt beside a badly burned woman. She was unrecognizable. She gasped for air with every breath. Her tongue was hideously swollen and her chest wheezed. One of the men held her hand and tried to comfort her. Don't worry, we'll get you a doctor. Another man turned and yelled in the direction of the nearest ambulance. We need help over here, quick! Jared found a severely burned man moving his head back and forth as he lay on the smoking, ash-covered sidewalk. He bent down to speak to him. The victim's eyes opened and his mouth was agape in shock. 
his face was charred black and crisscrossed with pink, oozing flesh that swelled right before Jared's eyes. It'll be okay, Jared encouraged him, trying to hide his own fear. Jared stood up to yell for help in the direction of the ambulance sirens when he almost knocked down a paramedic who was running as he cradled a severely burned girl. Her face blistered and oozed, and blood matted her long brown hair as large red drops steadily dripped to the ground. The paramedic yelled, Move! and Jared gave way. Jared stared at them as they vanished down the smoky street. A mobile triage center set up two blocks away began to swarm with paramedics, the walking injured, and concerned citizens trying to help. The squad drove the severely injured to the hospital immediately, while those with cuts, minor burns, and lesser injuries stayed at the mobile triage center for care. David and Jared helped the injured and provided comfort and aid wherever they could. David could not help but weep as he beheld the sight of all the dead, scorched bodies. Over a third of his little church fellowship had burned to death today. What would become of all the parentless children who were being watched by the two elderly widows at the church? David's bloodshot eyes met Jared's. It looks like napalm was dropped on the civic center. David pointed in the direction of the ruins. The president, judges, politicians, and hundreds of abortionists were in that building today, Jared. Jared shook his head and licked his ash-laced lips in stunned disbelief as he began to realize the implications of the day's events. As one of the nurses in triage tended to David's scalp wound, Jared looked over and saw a handcuffed African-American man standing against the wall. He wore a white t-shirt, black dress pants, and black dress shoes. A police officer stood beside him speaking on his radio. Jared walked over until he was within the sound of the officer's voice. He heard him say, Sergeant, this man is wearing cuffs, but he's been assisting the injured and helping the nurses. I have no idea why he was arrested. He said he is a pro-life protester. Given the circumstances, he's probably not a priority right now. The officer glanced over at his prisoner, whose eyes seemed to be closed in prayer. I cannot find the arresting officer. Okay, okay. Yes, sir. He latched his two-way radio back onto his belt clip and told the African-American man, You are free to go. We will get these handcuffs off you as soon as possible. Wait right here. The officer walked hurriedly away and Jared was left alone with the man. Are you the guy they were hauling out of the Civic Center in handcuffs? The African-American man appeared startled at the question. Why? Well, I was in the squad car behind you. For what? For protesting abortion. What's your name? Jared extended a hand to the stranger. Elijah. He shook Jared's hand with one of his cuffed hands. Elijah Slate. David walked cautiously up to his front porch and peeked through the window. His two youngest daughters were playing with some blocks on the floor. He knocked gently on the glass to get their attention. They looked up with a bright smile. Daddy! Daddy's home! He walked through the door of his house and his wife ran to him in tears. Oh, David! Daddy! Daddy! Three little girls squealed with glee as they ran to embrace their daddy's legs in a tight hug. Are you okay, dear? David's wife caressed him tenderly as she looked at the scratches on his arms, face, and neck. The police wouldn't tell us anything. Is everyone else okay? David swallowed hard. Has anyone else from our group contacted you? Did anyone make it back? Darlene shook her head, her eyes wide with fright. David's eyes met Jared's, and the tears that flowed told it all. He and Jared were the only survivors. What? No. Oh, God, no. This can't be possible. Darlene began to cry as she hugged her husband's neck. We need to check all the hospitals, Jared proposed. David wrapped his arms around his wife, and her cry turned into a sob. I'm sorry, babe. Darlene Jameson was comfortably plump with an adorable baby face that did not reveal her unique strength of heart. David was so glad that he was still alive for his family's sake. He couldn't bear the thought of his wife and daughters weeping over his death. He held her close as she wept uncontrollably for a moment. The oldest two of the three young girls started crying, though they did not know why. Their mother tried to restrain herself so as to comfort her girls, but she broke down when she witnessed her husband's free-flowing tears. In a moment, they were all sitting on the front porch, hugging, crying, and praying. Their faith had only begun to be tested. 
The sophisticated female newscaster appeared stressed as she set up a block away from the devastation, which still billowed with smoke and turmoil. The police car lights flashed brightly all around, casting color under the smoky fog that hugged the ground. She looked into the camera and spoke with a tremor in her voice. I'm reporting in front of the Reproductive Rights Convention in downtown Columbus, where a devastating explosion destroyed the Civic Center about three hours ago. There are at least 3,000 casualties at present count, several senators, congressmen and women, and judges. The leaders of many pro-choice organizations also died in the blast. Unfortunately, the President of the United States was also killed. His death has not been confirmed by authorities, but the bomb was detonated during the President's speech, and there have been no signs of him. As the newscaster spoke, they showed footage of the tangled mass of bodies inside the building and on the street. Also killed in the explosion were hundreds of medical professionals, many of whom provide abortions. It is strongly suspected that the attack is the work of anti-choice terrorists. Today's date, April 19, is the date of the federal raid on Waco, Texas in 1993, and the subsequent retaliatory bombing of the Andrew Murray Federal Building in Oklahoma two years later that killed over 200 people. The date has been a rallying point of right-wing conspiracy theorists over the years. We go now to the White House, where Vice President Margaret Brighton was just sworn in as the new President of the United States. Washington, D.C. Brighton stepped up to the outdoor podium on a platform set up in front of the Department of Justice. The cameras flashed and the news reporters shushed themselves to silence. It is a sad day in America, she stated solemnly. Over 3,000 of our brothers and sisters perished today. Not since the attacks of 9-11 have terrorists struck so horribly at the heart of America. In 2001, they struck at our military supremacy and our economic strength. Now they strike at our very heart from which all of America's blessings flow at our tolerance and respect for free choice. Then they were Islamist extremists who hijacked a peaceful religion to justify their barbaric slaughter. Now they are Christian extremists who hijack another good religion to justify their mass murder. What these terrorists have in common is hate. What they have in common is a mad appetite for a theocratic totalitarianism that subjugates all dissenting opinions. If they intended to weaken our zeal for reproductive rights, to cripple our resolve to have every child be a wanted child, I promise you this terrorist attack will have quite the opposite effect. We will make justice for all the tombstone on their graves. A flurry of applause rose as she took a deep breath and basked temporarily in their praise. Do you think that with a terrorist's bomb you can silence the dream of President Fitzgerald? Oh, how mistaken you are. You just hastened to the realization of that dream in our day. I will fight to the death for the truths and the values for which President Ray Fitzgerald fought and died. She was now visibly fighting back the tears and her bottom lip trembled. Let us stand together against the homegrown hate in our midst and make President Fitzgerald's dream of peace and justice for all a reality. Applause began to break out across the lawn in front of the Department of Justice, packed with reporters and government personnel. Anxious reporters shouted questions as the new President of the United States was ushered off the stage by the Secret Service. Columbus, Ohio A small group of people from David and Jared's church had gathered to pray and mourn together and discuss the events of the day. They had muted the television, but someone saw a clip of one of the young men in their church preaching to a small crowd as he stood on his metal folding chair. Hey, that's Rob. Quiet, turn it up. The newscaster had been covering the history of abortion-related violence in the United States. Anti-abortion groups have grown in numbers and in commitment in recent years. Many have spent some time in prison. To them, it is a holy war. They then played a clip of Jared squaring off with the officers, and then a clip of Jared and David being led off by the police in handcuffs. David and Jared looked at each other, and David grimaced with trepidation. The newscaster interviewed several survivors. They were like, spewing out like hatred and intolerance. A dark-haired teenage boy grasped a skateboard as a nurse bandaged a wound on his forehead. 
The way they kept going on about judgment on us for abortion, I'm not surprised they tried to kill the president and all those pro-choicers. A woman in her 20s wearing a red Ohio State University t-shirt asserted, They said that abortion was murder and that abortionists should be punished. The newscaster was startled by her testimony. Did you hear them say that doctors who provide abortions should be killed? Uh Uh-huh. Her head nodded up and down. The newscaster described how the tragic events of the day were directly related to the contents of the speech that the president was delivering at the very time the bomb detonated. An audio clip of the president played, This legislation criminalizes the kind of threats and violent posturing that unfortunately many of you heard as you walked in the front entrance of this civic center this morning. As his voice continued, they played in slow motion the footage of David and Jared being led to the squad car in cuffs. This is not good, David understated the fear he felt, but the tremor in his voice relayed his grave concern. Not good at all. Everyone looked around the room, knowing the answer, but too shocked to verbalize it. David and Jared are suspects in that bombing. All at once, everyone understood the threat to David and Jared. The two glanced at each other, wondering what they should do. Darlene looked at her husband with horror in her eyes. What are you going to do? someone asked. David shrugged his shoulders and stated what appeared to him to be the obvious answer. Well, we will have to turn ourselves in. At once the group protested, No! Jared was adamantly against the idea. Turn ourselves in? Why in the world would you want to do that? Jared, the police arrested us and put us in a squad car. Then we escaped. An explosion blew our police car ten feet off the road, Jared exclaimed. We escaped to help others. The car was smoking, David. It could have blown up. We had to get out. They probably think you are dead, Pastor Ron Samuels told them, pointing to the television set. He was a gray-haired, heavyset man who looked ten years younger than his seventy years. He had taken over as pastor of their small church when David resigned to be more active in national pro-life ministry. They'll discover we're not dead soon enough, David responded soberly. Besides, don't you think they're going to harass our families and friends to try and prove that we are responsible for that explosion? We need to come forward and clear our name. We have done nothing wrong except escape custody in a squad car where we were being held for a misdemeanor, and that's a wrong we can remedy if we turn ourselves in. David's wife protested with greater fervency. I do not like this at all, dear. What if you are the most likely suspect? They aren't just going to let you go. They are looking for somebody to blame for this. You heard the president's insane speech. They're coming for us now. You can't just turn yourself in, David, Pastor Samuels said. Your alibis are all dead. If we denied it, they'd probably torture us for a confession and intelligence, Jared stated matter-of-factly. Torture? Darlene was absolutely horrified at the thought of her husband's suffering. Jared's been watching too many 24 reruns, David said, trying to gently reprove Jared and comfort his wife simultaneously. Jared bucked the notion that he was exaggerating. Come on, David, they've been violating the rights of Christians and patriots for decades. You know that. Warrantless wiretapping, no due process, secret courts, torture. Pastor Samuels patted Jared's shoulder as if to tell him to calm down and stop scaring the ladies. I have to agree with Darlene, Pastor Samuels said. Perhaps you guys should just lay low for a few days and see what transpires. You two might be the only suspects right now. Let them find the bad guys first, then you can go forward and clear your name. Just then, Darlene's cell phone rang. She stood to walk from the room, placing the phone to her ear. Hello? Hello, Darlene. It's Annie. Annie was their next-door neighbor. Are you guys okay? I was getting kind of worried when I saw the police cars. Police cars? Where? Well, ten minutes ago, I saw at least four police cars outside your house with their lights flashing. They went inside. I saw them carrying out stuff. Your computer, some files. What? I assumed you let them in. No, Annie. We'll have to talk later. Darlene hung up the phone and calmly told her husband about the officers in their house. With this knowledge, Jared's tone was more urgent. We can't stay here. We have to leave now. They're probably tapping your cell phone as we speak. Jared motioned to the cell phone Darlene held nervously with both hands. Where are we going to go? David wondered. Pastor Samuels spoke up. I've got some camping gear handy in my garage. My son and I were planning a camping trip this weekend. 
Why don't you just take the stuff and head out into the woods? We have hundreds of acres of sprawling forest and farmland out our back door. David glanced out the window into the backyard and whispered, Lord, what do you want us to do? Now, we need to leave now, Jared blurted out with a fearful glance at the front door, as if expecting federal agents to kick it down any minute. David drew close to Darlene and cradled her face with his hands. He kissed her gently on the lips. Honey, I'm going to leave until things settle down. Oh, David. Pastor Samuel saw that David was concerned for his family's safety, not just his own. We will take care of your family, David. We'll get them to a safe place. You get. He opened the back door for them as his son brought two backpacks, a lantern, and some supplies to them. Mrs. Samuels brought them some food in a canvas bag. Why can't we come with you? Darlene pleaded with David as he donned the backpack. Please. That would be neither wise nor safe with young children, David said as Darlene began to cry. He pulled her close to his chest. Where are the girls? Darlene wiped her tears and spoke with trembling voice. They're at Martha's. I'm going to miss you, he whispered into her ear as they embraced. Tell the girls that they'll see their daddy soon. She squeezed him tightly, fighting off the fear that this might be their last hug. Pastor Samuels tapped David's backpack. There's a 20-channel two-way radio in there. It's good up to two miles. We'll contact you only in an emergency on channel 19. Pastor Samuels gave the men a hug and placed a wad of $20 bills into David's hand. Go now. David and Jared headed out through the backyard into the dark forest. In a moment, the dim glow of their flashlights could no longer be seen through the trees. Dear God, keep him safe, prayed Darlene silently as she stared through the window into the darkening woods. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020, and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com. O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.